Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Hey folks, Pastor here. Thank you for uh, joining with us this morning once again. Uh, this morning I've got a very special guest uh, and if you have been joining with us online, I'll be back in a couple weeks here, but I got a special guest, uh, Colin Connor, one of our interns and a young man that I've known for a very long time uh, is going to be preaching uh, the Word of God to us. I'm so excited to be able to see how God is using him and uh, what God is going to do in his life. I can guarantee you, you're going to enjoy the message and it'll be a help to you. I'm looking forward to being back with you in a couple weeks, but give your undivided attention to the Word of God and Colin Connor as he shares with us what God's Word has to say. God bless you. Good morning, and thank you for letting me be a part of starting the week off with you here as we do uh, Sunday morning worship uh, with the Open Bible. So it's a privilege uh, to start off the week with you here today. I want to encourage you, open up your Bibles to Nehemiah or turn on your phone there, whatever it might be. Uh, as you turn to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, will be in chapter 2. And I want to have a little bit of an exercise here, all right? I want to uh, start saying a phrase, and I want to see if you guys can finish it off. Don't worry, it's not hard, I promise. I know it's early Sunday morning, but here it is. If life gives you lemons... All right, now, now come on. I, I know you're there. I'm here on the, on the screen. It's all right. Let, let's, I want to make sure you say it right. If life gives you lemons... Make lemonade, right? It's got the idea of, like, if you've got a, a bad situation in life, whatever it is, you, you just make the best out of it. Uh, I mean, it's almost more of a joke in our culture uh, today than it is anything else, but there is some truth to it. And it's really cool that the saying is actually 105 years old this year. That's right, would you believe it was coined in 1915 uh, by a man who was writing an obituary for a friend. This guy had been an American uh, actor with uh, some physical disabilities in life uh, that made it a little hard for him. But this guy uh, wrote the obituary and he said, His was a sound mind in an unsound body. He proved the eternal paradox of things. He cashed in on his disabilities. He picked up the lemons that fate had sent him and started a lemonade stand. And there you have the origin of our phrase. Well, in the story today, Nehemiah didn't exactly get lemons from life. He had bricks. Charred, worthless, useless bricks. Now, I want you to get inside Nehemiah's head today. All right? He was born in captivity in the Babylonian Empire. It's now the Persian Empire, but he has never seen his homeland before. He's never been there. All he's ever heard are the stories. The stories of how beautiful it used to be, how, how grand, how, how much splendor there was. I mean, David you know, built Jerusalem on, on top of Mount Moriah. Solomon expanded the glory of it. Elijah walked those halls. I mean, the stories he heard were just incredible. And now, for the very first time in his life, he's actually there in his own homeland. And as our story picks up, he's been there for three days. So now, Nehemiah chapter 2, we begin in verse 13. He says, I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down. The gates thereof were consumed by fire. Uh, so he's been there for three days now. 
and he is surveying the city at night. All right, this was uh, for uh, tactical reasons, if you will. There were a lot of enemies uh, that the Jews had at this time. And as you continue to read the book, e even as we read today, you're going to find that that just wasn't a, an unvalidated fear. There was a reason for it. Those enemies uh, actually really hated Nehemiah and what he was doing. So he was trying to be secret at this point uh, by looking around the city. So he starts at the gate of the valley. Uh, that would have been the gate of Hinnom. And you say, all right, I, uh, that means nothing to me. Actually, it kind of does. Uh, there was another name for that, and that was Gehenna. Uh, is something that you might recognize from the preaching of Jesus in the Gospels. He used it as an illustration in a lot of his preaching. So Nehemiah starts there, and he continues on to the dragon well. I know that sounds super cool. Uh, some scholars uh, think it might have been uh, the tunnel that Hezekiah uh, built to get water into the city uh, during the Assyrian invasion a few hundred years back. And then he goes to the dung port that would have been like the trash heap uh, for the city. So it seems like he's starting at the southwest corner of the city, and he's going northeast now, following uh, the curve of the city wall. Now, as I say that, you can't have in your head the idea of this, like, medieval square castle kind of thing for the city, right? That, that's just so reading in uh, a mindset that, that wasn't there back then. So, actually, Jerusalem was really, really small, uh, and the perimeter of it was kind of shaped almost like a spatula, if you can imagine that. So you got like the square at the top and then the really skinny handle, uh, you know, on the bottom. That That's basically what it looked like. Um, some artists even uh, depict it looking kind of like New Jersey. Um, now, not in size. Uh, basically, all of Israel uh, is about the size of New Jersey. So not size, but the shape of it. I, I realize those are absolutely horrible illustrations, but you will never again forget the shape of Israel in Nehemiah's time, right? It looked like a spatula here. So he's starting at the bottom tip of it, and he's rounding it up going northeast there. Um, and he's seeing the walls of the city, and they are just in horrible condition. Uh, the Bible says they were broken down. That has the idea of their being ruptured, just like they're, they're totally broken apart. And consumed uh, means the same thing that it does for us today. It means to be eaten by fire. It, it's not a really good predicament. I mean, when you go back with the express purpose of rebuilding the walls, and the walls aren't good enough to use, that's not a good situation to be in. So, if I can take our modern phrase and put it in an ancient context, when life gives you bricks, what are you going to do with them? Now, on a physical and historical level, this chapter is about Nehemiah surveying the city, figuring out how he's going to rebuild. But I think there's also a deeply personal, spiritual truth that you and I can get from this today. Because, let's just think about that pile of bricks that Nehemiah saw. Don't we all sometimes feel like that? Like we've been burnt out, literally or figuratively, spent, worthless, used goods in over our heads, too hopeless to be any good. You know, like the situation is just totally out of our control. I think we've all been there. And so the question today, and title of the message too, is when life gives you bricks, what are you going to do with them? Well, I've got three options for you. First, you can throw them at people. I, I know, right? That's real That's real creative, but it, it's true. You can throw the bricks at people. I would call this being the problem. And you just, you get so angry, so bitter, so discouraged, so disgusted at the way things are that you just throw them at people. And anyone could be your target. It doesn't have to be someone that you're angry at. Uh, a lot of times it's actually family, people that you love. 
Um, not because you hate them, but because you yourself are hurting and don't know how else to express it in the moment. It just sort of comes out. That's actually what happened with two characters uh, that we see in this story. We're introduced to them in verse 10. Uh, look at that with me if you would. Nehemiah 2.10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Now, let's pretend like you've never heard this story before. You've never heard of these guys. First time looking at it. So just from this verse, Sambalat and Tobiah. Good guys or bad guys? Bad guys, right? But, but why? Remember, you've never read it before. Well, their names alone uh, should tell you something. How are they introduced? Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. I want you to act like a Bible detective, all right? You gotta ask questions here as you're going. Don't let the text just happen to you. Don't just go, oh yeah, that makes sense, Sambala, the horn of that. No, you should have some questions going in your head like, when the world is a Horonite? <laughs> That's not exactly a term we see in our Bible study every day. Well, it means he was from the town of Horonaim. It was a city in Moab. Now you should be thinking, okay, Moab, Moab, uh, what do I know Moab from? Well, if you go all the way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Chapter 19, verses 30 to 38, you have the story of how Moab started. We're told about Abraham. That's probably a name you might recognize. He's a pretty uh, popular Bible character. Well, his nephew Lot had been living in the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were destroyed. And he escaped, I mean, literally at the last second. So much so that his wife did not make it out alive. But he did, and his two daughters with him. And that's where the story gets disgustingly weird. Uh, the two daughters start an incestuous relationship with their father in order to have kids. And it works. <laughs> the, the Bible says that they both have sons. Genesis 19.37 says, The firstborn bare a son and called his name Moab, then same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger, she also bare a son, called his name Ben-Ami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Okay, so that tells you the story of Moab. Now, where have we heard of Mo Ammon already today? Oh, yeah, back in our story in Nehemiah chapter 2. Tobiah, the servant, the Ammonite. So you see, this isn't just about two guys who have a personal grudge against Nehemiah. This is like Hatfields and McCoy's bad blood for 1,500 years. <laughs> Talk about a family feud, right? This is not a good situation. So Sambala and Tobiah, good guys or bad guys? <laughs> They're definitely bad. And in case you're still unsure for some reason, look at the rest of verse 10. When they heard it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Did you catch that? It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Now, if we were to give that really wooden, literal translation, it would read, It was evil to them, a great evil, that a man was come. How messed up do you have to be to think of evil to you, a great evil, that somebody has come to help another human being? I mean, how tied up in a twisted perversion do you have to be to think it's horrible that somebody's helping somebody else? But now, let's turn that question around back on ourselves. That's what the Bible does to us. Have you ever been displeased greatly when somebody you don't like had something good happen to them. Maybe they got a promotion. Maybe he got a new car and you've been driving around the same old jalopy for the last 20 years. 
Well, maybe she just announced a pregnancy and you've been trying and can't get pregnant. Maybe their family gets to go on vacation and you just got laid off. In those times, are you acting more like Nehemiah and being happy and trying to help other people? Or are you more like Sambalat and Tobiah who were not happy when something good happened to somebody else? You see, we're not always the Nehemiahs of our story. That doesn't mean we're horrible people, but it means that we're supposed to evaluate the, our lives and make decisions based on what happened to the characters of the Bible story. So we're supposed to think, okay, for example, maybe, okay, um, in my life right now, I feel like I'm doing pretty well with my family. I think maybe I'm acting like Nehemiah with them. We're encouraging each other. We're doing pretty well. But that coworker in the next cubicle over, maybe I'm acting more like Sambala and Tobiah with them. I'm not treating them well. I'm not handling my own stress well. I'm, I'm taking an L on them. I'm throwing bricks at them. Okay, well, that doesn't mean that now you're supposed to hang your head in shame, go around saying, oh, well, I, I guess I'm a, a horrible person. You know, I'm, I'm like, Sambala, Tobiah. No, no, no. It just means that you have to look at the course of Sambala and Tobiah's life and the course of your own life. You have to realize, okay, at this point, I'm walking the same path as these two men. Now, if you walk the same path as someone, you're going to end up at the same destination. You walk the same path as someone else, you're going to end up at the same destination. So if there's somebody you know that you say, I just, I don't like how life turned out for them. I don't like the kind of person they ended up. Maybe it's a, a parent or a sibling or a friend, a coworker, whatever. But you say, I, I feel like I'm making the same decisions they did. I feel like I'm reliving their life. Well, if you keep walking the same path as somebody else, you're going to end up at the same destination. So what do you have to do? That means that right here, as you're listening to me today, I'm up here on the screen, you're sitting there on the sofa, at your kitchen table, whatever it might be, you need to consider, okay, what do I need to change in my life to change path so that I can get to a different destination? All right, let's think about what was the outcome for Sambala and Tobiah? Not good, right? Nehemiah described the gates of the city as being consumed by fire, but really we could say that it was Sambala and Tobiah who were consumed, not with fire, but with anger with bitterness for, yes, an injustice, but an injustice that happened 1,500 years ago to their ancestors. It didn't even involve them. So you need to ask yourself, do I want to be like that? No. Well, then what do you need to change today to change the path you're on so you'll get to a different destination? See, the truth is, Sambala and Tobiah were probably pretty nice guys in the rest of their lives, but this story is what defines them. This is how we know them. Let me ask, what would your coworkers say defines you? What would your teacher say defines you? Parent, what would your kids say defines you? Can, can I suggest something a little radical? What if you asked them this week? What if you pulled aside the coworker or the boss, uh, you know, at the water cooler, or or your teacher after class, uh, or or a, a kid after a meal, or maybe even your parent or whatever, and say, what do you think defines my life, for good or for bad? The answer is going to hurt. <laughs> I can almost guarantee that. But it might just keep you from being a Sambalat or Tobiah in somebody else's life. Now, thankfully, these aren't the only two guys in our story. So let's look at the next option for when life gives you bricks. That is, you can stare at them. <laughs> this is real original, right? This is what I went to Bible college for. You can throw bricks and you can stare at them. 
but I would call this focusing on the problem. And this was the response of the children of Israel. They were depressed. They were discouraged. They had been told to stop building by the Persian government. So they did the right thing in obeying the government. But the entire spirit of the nation just died with the work. I mean, have you ever walked into a room and you just feel like the whole room is dead? There is no energy there. I mean, imagine walking into a country and the whole place feels like that. I mean, that is where the children of Israel were at this time. It was bad. And, and the worst part about it is they didn't have to be that way. They had been told to stop based on false pretenses. People told lies about the reason they were building, and we have no record of anybody ever sending a letter to the king and saying, um, hey, this isn't what we're actually doing. It seems like they just they gave up and they didn't care you know, until Nehemiah came on the scene. But I don't think that's the case. I think these people actually did care. I think they wanted to build. I mean, once they were freed in Babylon, you know, they'd been freed from, from being in captivity, that was a comfortable life. Many of them already had houses in Babylon. They could have gotten rich there. Some people did. But these people in the story left all that in order to go rebuild Israel. You don't make a choice like that unless you're fully committed to it. And they went all in. And I mean, come on. It, after a one-verse pep talk from Nehemiah in verse 18, they start rebuilding the walls. I think they did care. I think they wanted to build. I think they knew there was a problem. They just didn't know how to fix it. And I think that's where most of us live. We know we're not perfect. We know we're not supposed to respond in anger that way. We, we know that we should treat our spouse better. We know that we should have better communication with our kids or in our family. We know that we shouldn't let other people discourage us so much. But we know that. Deep down, we, we desperately want to change it. But we don't know how. Nobody ever showed us. We go to church every week and we hear the what of what we're supposed to do, but nobody has ever just come, put their arm around us, and showed us the how. I think that's where a lot of us live. So what do we do about it? What do you do with the pile of bricks that life has given you? <laughs> we know we're not supposed to throw them, but if you stare at them long enough, you get angry and you start throwing them anyway, usually at loved ones. So what are we supposed to do? Well, thankfully, there's a third option, and that is you can build with them. I call this solving the problem. Uh, but first, you have to be real. Now, I realize for some of us, this is going to be easier than others. Some people uh, have an easier time just being natural and real than some other people do, right? So, some of us are almost too honest sometimes, we'd say. But I think the trend for most of us is we tend to pretend like there isn't a problem. You know. You have to admit that there is a problem first. Ignoring the elephant in the room doesn't make it go away. It just makes you the only person who's pretending there's not an elephant there. And this is the way it goes. We say, well, uh, a good Christian household does not have an elephant in their living room. We are a good Christian household. Therefore, we can't possibly have an elephant in our living room. That would, that would make us not a good Christian household. I think there's a term for that. and It's called circular reasoning. It doesn't work. You know, if you're driving down the pike over here and you have literally every car passing you screaming out the window that you have a flat tire, 
it's probably a good idea to pull over to the side of the road and check if you have a flat tire no matter what you think. If other people, your family, your friends, maybe even the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you that something is wrong in your life, there's a good chance that they're right and you're wrong. Now that hurts. That hurts to hear that. That hurts for me to think about while I was studying this message. But it's just reality. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in our own lives, just the day-to-day -day of it, not even a bad thing, but just the mundane aspects of our lives, that we lose our objectivity really fast. We get, we get blind spots in our lives. If you're going to build with the bricks that life has given you, you have to first admit that all you have are bricks. And that's a problem. But then you have to be driven by a spiritual understanding. You see, staring at the problem never makes it better. It never makes it go away with time. You know, a lot of us have this disposition in our families of just pretending like if we don't talk about it and we all cool off for 10 minutes and come back and act like nothing ever happened, it's going to be okay. It's going to go away. But can I tell you, the problem never goes away. It might hide in the corner for a little while, but it's going to come back. You have to understand what the problem is from an eternal perspective. We can't just use a bunch of psychological terms and say, oh, you know, I, I just, I struggle with this. Or I say, okay, there's a place for that. But if there is sin, we need to address that. If there is a problem, we need to see it how God sees it. And that's what Nehemiah understood. In verse 17, he said that the real issue was not about building a wall. And we would think, uh, well, yeah, of course it was. <laughs> That's what you came here for, buddy. But he said, no, the real matter was about how the nations around Israel would view Israel's God if his people didn't even have a functioning city to call their home. See, the real issue wasn't about a wall. It was about a spiritual matter. And the real issue is not going to be the first thing that comes to your mind in life. It's going to be a spiritual matter. And God works with those. He wants to work with you. You see, it's, it's not a matter of clean yourself up and then come to church, or then start reading your Bible, then start praying, whatever. No, that's not how God works. Somehow we, we've kind of gotten this idea that like God is always mad at us, and we need to clean up our life first and then go to him. That's not how our God works. Our God invites us to come to him in our brokenness, in our pile of bricks, if you will. And then he says, now let's build with him together. He doesn't expect you to clean up your life and then come to him. He expects you to come to him, and then he'll give you the strength to work with the bricks that you have. And so then third, I just say, you have to start building. And you say, I might fail. And I say, no, you will fail. You will mess up, you will fall flat on your face, you'll make mistakes, call it whatever you want, it's going to happen, and listen to me, please. That is okay. There's a reason we have a little saying that goes to air is human. Are you supposed to fall when you walk? No. But, but, but think about a little toddler. What does he do? He toddles, right? Hence the name. He falls down a lot. Well, as a parent, would you look at that kid and say, you stupid idiot. You shouldn't have done that. You should know better by now. Come on, get back up and, and just walk. Of course not. Neither does God treat his children that way. 
He doesn't look at you and say, you should have known better. Well, of course, he doesn't want us to fall. But when we do, he's not mad at you. He's just inviting you to come back and try it again with his strength this time. He's always there to pick you up. That's the God we serve. Sometimes we can get so scared of failure that we actually just stop building altogether. Maybe you've just failed too many times in the past and you say, I've, I've already tried it, it's not worth it. Maybe you know somebody else who's done the same thing you're doing and they failed at it. You say, oh, I'm no better than they are, how could I possibly do better? Or maybe you've just been told your whole life that you're doomed to fail, that you're not good enough, that you're, you're second class, that you're second rate, that other people can, but you can't. Please listen to me. I don't care who said that. I don't care when they said it, how they said it. It's not true. That is not how our God sees you. That is not what is true of you. God thought that you had all the value in the world when he created you. He loves you and he knew all of the things you would struggle with, all of the times you would mess up, all of the mistakes you would make, and he still thought you were worth creating. And then as if that wasn't enough, he actually thought you were dying for, worth dying for. God literally thought that you were worth dying for. Hey, he sent Jesus to die in your place. Even if you think nobody else loves you, nobody else cares, God does. He did that so that you could live free of the judgment of other people. You live free of the mistakes of your past, whether that was 50 years ago or 50 seconds ago. Don't listen to your failures. Don't listen to the people who said you can't. Just start building with the bricks that you have today. Because you know what? It wasn't life who gave you, that gave you those bricks. It was God who chose those bricks for you. Of all the people in the world that could have had your pile of bricks, God thought that you could do the most with them. Two years ago, uh, I counseled at a Christian camp in North Carolina. And <laughs> whenever you're counseling, you are like guaranteed to get at least one trouble kid in your cabin every week. Uh, I mean, I, you are guaranteed to get at least one week of nothing but trouble kids. I, I, I think it's in the contract, in the fine print there somewhere that it's just going to happen. So one of the weeks, one of the senior counselors had a whole circle uh, of us counselors around. We were all on the same team. And he was giving us a little bit of a pep talk for the week. And he said, I want you to imagine that the parents of these children who are about to come in were able to choose what counselor they wanted for their kids out of the whole camp. I mean, they could pick anyone, and they picked you to counsel their kid. How would that make you feel? I mean, we're all there going, ah, that's not bad. Yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. And he goes, okay. Now I want you to realize that of all the counselors in this camp, God thought that you would be the best for that kid. He picked you for that kid, and he picked those kids for you. That made a difference for me. It really did, because then when the kids were being troublesome, when things just were not going how I planned, everything was going wrong that week, I was able to remember God thought that I would be best for these kids in what they needed, and that those kids would be best for me and how I needed to grow as a counselor too. You know, of all the 7.8 billion people and all the bricks in the world, God thought that you would be the best person for your pile of bricks, for your kids, for your church, 
for your cancer, for your special needs child, for your infertility, for your car crash, for your job transfer, for your family issues. So what are you going to do with the bricks that you have? You gonna throw them at people? I think you're probably tired of staring at them. So what if you started building with them today? Not sure, you might not have, you know, the best looking wall in all of Jerusalem, but even an imperfect wall is better than no wall at all. And let's be honest, nobody's going around handing out best looking wall trophies. You remember the parable that Jesus told in the Gospels about the three servants who got different talents, one got five, one got two, and the other got one? What was the response from the master for the guy who got five talents? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? I mean, it doesn't get better than that. Well, how about for the guy who had two? Well done, good and faithful servant. The only guy who didn't get commended by the master was the one who didn't do anything with what God had given him. That's true of our lives today, too. And some of you might be able to go and take what you have in life and make an awesome wall. Some of you might say, all I can do is stack one brick on top of another at this point. That's okay. Just start building. God will reward that. So, as a church today, what are you going to do with the bricks life has given you? Let's start building. Hey friend, I'm Pastor George Riddell. I'm the lead pastor here at Open Bible Baptist Church. And if you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, we'd like you to fill out the electronic connection card. You can click on that below. And I will personally send you this little book called Done, What Other Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible. And I'd also like to send to you this brand new Bible. So take a moment to be able to fill out that electronic connection card, and we promise you we'll get this to you in the mail. Looking forward to hearing from you and encouraging you in your walk with the Lord. Have a great day. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.